Anderson, I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to primetime. The first debates are coming this week, so the Democrats are unloading their big ideas. And Senator Bernie Sanders is burning up the Twitterverse tonight. Free college for all and wiping out all student loan debt in America. Time to test the why and most importantly, the how with Sanders campaign manager tonight. And should the president shake up his 2020 ticket? How about with Nikki Haley? Could the former ambassador be the ticket to a second term? The way the idea is being fed out into the media, maybe someone is thinking about it. So what do we do? Plus minus on the move with our wizard of odds. And new reaction ahead from the president to perhaps the most serious allegation to be brought against him to date. E. Jean Carroll accuses him of rape, period. And his response to it just now, whether the allegation is true or not, well, you need to hear it. So what do you say? Let's get after it. Most Democratic candidates would say they want to make college more affordable, free for everyone, ambitious, wiping out existing student loan debt entirely. That puts Bernie Sanders in a league of his own. We should not be punishing people for getting a higher education. All student debt would be canceled in six months. If you could bail out Wall Street, we could bail out the middle class of this country. Mid to low estimates put the cost at $1.6 trillion with a T. That would be more than a third of the amount that the money the federal government spent in all of last year. Sanders argues in the end, it will help our economy. Will it fly with voters? Let's bring in the head of his campaign, Faz Shakir. Faz, nice to meet you, bud. Good to have you. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. One step on horse race, and then let's get into the policy. Elizabeth Warren is moving. When I spoke to the senator last week, Senator Sanders, he said, look, you know, uh, I think there are some people with an appetite uh, for electing a woman. Do you think it's about gender, or do you think that she's beaten him at his own game with progressive ideas? Listen, Chris, it's your job to ask questions. I'm not going to urge you not to ask the questions. But as a campaign manager for Senator Bernie Sanders, I'll tell you that each of them really adores one another. They've been fighting in the trenches uh, for many of the same causes for much of their lives, fighting for working families. And so I know that it is um, uh, not normal for the course of a presidential campaign to say nice things about one another and to believe that one another is actually not a terrible human being. But it is true that Bernie Sanders likes Elizabeth Warren. I think the feeling is mutual. So this campaign is truly about trying to make the case for why Bernie Sanders not about denigrating or trying to contrast or suggest that she's not a good candidate. I'm not asking you to dump on uh, Elizabeth Warren. I'm asking, is it something that you're looking at to figure out why is she moving when you guys occupy the same space? So I, I appreciate there's a lot of things moving. I think it's still early in this cycle. I think most people haven't even dialed into this election, quite frankly, Chris. I mean, we're about to start the next six months uh, of the year where it, things are going to get very intense. The debates start in a couple of days from now. That's when I think voters will start to get more interested. And at that point in time, I bet you there's going to be a lot more peaks and valleys to come. So I just think it's super early to make any judgments and determinations. All right, then I'll give you a pass. We'll do it again in six months. We'll see Thank where it stands there. And we're <laughs> go after. Um, Faz, I'll still be here. So let's talk about the big idea of the moment. All right. Forget about free college for everybody. That's ambitious enough. I'm also going to wipe out all of the debt to date. Very big, too big, too expensive, too ambitious. Defend. 
Chris, there's a crisis going on, and most people uh, in the elite world don't see it. The crisis is afflicting working families all over America. Mm -hmm. If you think about the fact that people in this generation are going to have a worse standard of living than their parents, that's that's a sad sense of fear as a, as a parent myself, thinking about my child might have a worse life than me is a crisis. And one of the reasons for that is because we have shackled the current generation and future generations with inordinate college debt they can never leave behind. Is it, the solution as good as the problem? Married. Sorry, say that is again. Is the solution Chris? as troubling as the problem? You're going to have the phases the of the country pay for people who may have gone to college when you couldn't go, not you specifically. I'm saying people in the middle class, a lot of them don't go because it's too expensive. Now you're asking them to subsidize people who did go and pay off their debt when they didn't get to go. Is that fair? We have to recognize that we have a broken system that needs fundamental repair and reform, and it has to start with level setting and alleviating and canceling all student debt. And that's the only way we can lift up and rescue the middle class that is struggling. The working families of America need this, as uh, Senator Sanders pointed out today. We saved Wall Street. We came in and bailed them out. Here, the middle class is uh, is calling for a lifeboat. It needs this kind Two of wrongs. a rescue. And I don't think you can do this in a piecemeal uh, fashion. You have you need to have universality, just like we have had with other programs in the past. Social right. Security, Medicare, they are open to all. We should do that with college debt. But is it two wrongs uh, making a right? We bailed out Wall Street, arguably. The senator certainly thinks we did it in the wrong way. Uh, so does Elizabeth Warren. However, uh, is this also a wrong? You know, the loans for the government, they took them over in 2010. It's the biggest asset on their balance sheet. So not only would you be forgiving the debt, you'd be taking away the largest asset of the United States government. I mean, Chris, I hope you sense my frustration about this question, because the, when Donald Trump passed a corporate tax cut, do you know how much that cost? Do people even know? We're talking about over two trillion dollars, yeah. right, over 10 years. And then, by the way, when we saved uh, Wall Street, how much did that cost? Tens of trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars. And now we're talking about 1.6 trillion to alleviate student debt. And suddenly, oh my God, oh, fast. That's because well, they're all crazy. troubling, fast. I mean, that, they're all troubling. What you did again? with the Wall Street bailout, bailout uh, there was a justification argument. Uh, with the president and, with his and, tax and, plan, uh, there was a justification Chris, argument that hasn't been borne out by the deficit. And now you're Chris, trying you're to talking, do something ambitious, but you got to justify it. You're, and you're paying for this, so I hope you'll appreciate this. We're paying for it with a 0.5% tax mm, on every on, trade. Uh, five high-frequency financial trading. Now, after having bailed out Wall Street, can we ask them for a point? 5% tax on stocks, high frequency trading so that we can make college affordable for everybody so that we can unshackle the future generations with the debt that is hanging around them, depriving them from being free. I think we can do that. Well, why give it to all of them? Elizabeth Warren has a stepped plan that obviously takes into consideration income and even wealth, which would be a little tough to track, but that's ambitious way of looking at it. Uh, why do it that way? You want to help the middle class, help them. Don't do it for everybody. You, it's expensive and maybe a, not fair. You need to have universality, universality here because there's an anchor around the entire country on this matter. We have to fundamentally reform the system. And if you go about looking at some of these data points, you'll see that it inordinately affects women. It inordinately affects, uh, has great racial disparity uh, within the student debt numbers. And I think in order to address this holistically, you have to start from scratch, alleviate college debt, uh, alleviate all student debt, and then start to build a system that works, that gives people the chance to 
succeed, have a better future for themselves and their families. This thing is really crushing the current generation of Americans, and we have to do, deal with it with the seriousness of purpose uh, and do, treat it like the crisis that it is. If I did not agree with you about the problem, I would not talk about it on the show. Faz Shakir, thank you very much for giving me the campaign's perspective on this. As we learn more, as more issues come up, please come back on the show and let's get after it. Yes, sir. All right. I be appreciate well. your time. Good luck to you going forward. All right. So what do you think of those ideas? Let me know on Twitter, please. So another question for you tonight. Would you be more inclined to vote for this president if there were a woman on his ticket? How about Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, ambassador to the U.N.? That's being leaked out here. And it's not the first time. Wonder why. We have our very own Wizard of Oz with the plus minus potential. Next. So did you see this Wall Street Journal op-ed floating the idea of a Donald Trump Nikki Haley ticket in 2020? No disrespect to the current VP, but this has been bubbling up from time to time for months. The idea of a swap coming from a big name conservative paper this time, right? Proof that Trump folk don't hate the notion. So here to help us understand what the thinking could be, Harry Enton, the wizard of odds. Oh, far too kind. So let's start with the premise, which is that if you looked at the suburb vote in 2016, he won it. That was important. In 2018, he stunk up the House that was important. How does this work, plus minus? Yeah, so take a look at this. This is the suburban vote in the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Trump won in the suburbs by five points over Hillary Clinton. Of course, in any swing states, there are a ton of suburbs. Now, jump forward to the 2018 midterm election. Obviously, Republicans lost the House. What happened? When we look at the exit polls, what do we see? That Trump's mm. approval rating in the suburbs was only 46 percent. His disapproval was 53 percent. That seven-point difference was pretty similar to exactly what occurred nationwide, which was Republicans losing the nationwide House vote by around eight and a half percentage points. And you see man, woman be relevant here. This is very relevant. So take a look at the 2018 suburban vote among women. Take a look here. 53 percent Democrat, 45 percent Republican. Take a look at Trump's standing among these same voters. Only 42 percent approved, 57 percent disapproved. That is a huge, huge gap. And what I should point out, though, is obviously we've had the new sexual assault allegation over the last uh, allegation of the last few e. days. Eugene Carroll. Right, exactly. The right. most serious allegation we've heard against this president, without question, it's a rape allegation. Exactly right. These numbers do not take that into account so far. But will they? What's, will- your, what's your gut on it? I know you look at numbers, yeah. but I've never seen anything. It's the focus of the closing tonight. Me and the team are equally confused by this. Never seen anything like it. She is credible. Yes. There, there are going to be points of corroboration that are stronger and weaker. But it's really not getting the kind of play they did earlier. Is it just we've accepted this is who he is? Well, what I should point out, though, is that Donald Trump has had one of the largest gender gaps. In fact, go back over history. Look at the exit polls. I did. And take a look at this. Clinton won among women by 13 points. Trump won among men by 11 points. 24 points. That's a 24 point gap. That is the largest gap ever recorded in an exit poll, Gallup pre-election polls, the largest gap ever dating back to the 50s. Look at this, the, how, the vote for the House in 2018. What do we see here? Among women, Democrats won by 19 points. That is the largest victory for Democrats in a midterm among women ever. Men, though, four points. So when you say it doesn't take into account, yes, there's a lot of polarization going on right now. But what I should say is that these numbers do indicate so that he's women- already hysteric, uh, hysterically, historically has it baked into his number yeah. that women have a fundamental problem? The question becomes, 
Why don't men echo women's problems with these allegations? That, that is exactly a great question. We will see, obviously, how this latest allegation plays into it. But so far, women are certainly treating this president differently than they've treated other Republican presidents. So past. not just any woman. It's almost always Nikki Haley every yeah. time this comes to me. And you and I have both heard this for six, seven months. Yeah. Why her? What could she mean? Well, I think the reason you hear her name so frequently is she is one of the highest power women Republican women in politics. And take a look at this. This was her approval rating among the entire electorate when she was leaving office as the U.N. ambassador. Sixty three percent of approve of the job that she was doing. Just 17 percent disapprove. Compare that to the president of the United States in the most recent Quinnipiac University poll. Only 42 percent approved and 53 percent disapprove. So if there is a potential politician out there who could perhaps raise his numbers overall at the electorate and women specifically, it could be Nikki Haley. And she worked with him and survived it. So there's a relationship. It's not as big an unknown as how they'll mix. How about her versus Pence? Yeah. So I think this is also a key question. Key point. Look how much more popular mm. she is than Mike Pence is among the overall electorate. Mike Pence just sports a 42 percent favorable rating, 44 percent unfavorable. Look at this. Her approval rating, 63 percent versus 17 percent disapprove. There is one thing, though, I should point out, Chris, is I think the president's problems are deeper than just making a switch at the second part of the ticket. And the reason I say that is because there are a few things. Number one, remember, we're always voting for the top of the ticket. We're not necessarily voting for the VP. Just switching out the second spot doesn't solve the problems of the top spot. And the other thing I should point out, remember Hillary Clinton when she left as Secretary of State? Her numbers were sky high. And then all of a sudden you got involved in the campaign and her numbers fell. The question is how artificially high are these numbers? And what would Nikki Haley say about these allegations like E. Jean Carroll's? How would she keep the respect of women and also balance out difference to the president? Harry, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it as always. Harry Anton, Wizard of Odds. All right, so you heard us talking. The latest accuser, of this president has brought the most serious allegation and some strong corroboration. She told two friends who were journalists when this allegedly happened many years ago. So why isn't it resonating more? Ripe for a great debate. Next. Yet another denial from the president in the face of a new assault claim. This one from E. Jean Carroll, journalist. He, according to her, raped her. His response, as consistent as it is confounding. Here's the quote. I'll say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. Never happened. Okay. Carol says this president raped her inside a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room 23 years ago, more or less. She was on CNN just last hour with Anderson and reacted to the president's response. Thing. I love that I'm not his type. Don't you love that you're not his type? He also called Miss Universe fat. Miss Piggy, I think he called her. All right, let, let's just be clear about one thing before we get into the allegation. Uh, there is no need for attraction when it comes to rape. It's about power. It's not about sex. So the answer is not an intelligent one, that she, someone's not your type. Uh, it would, if nothing else, imply you have a standard where it would be okay for you to do something like that. The bigger point is this is a very heavy allegation But there has not been a heavy implication to this point. What does that mean? Let's bring in Alexandra Rojas and Karen Finney. Uh, One, I think we all agree at this point, this has been unusually uh, underplayed. Uh, First of all, Alexandra, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Uh, A heavy topic to start with. But uh, the, the idea of this is the heaviest allegation to date of this president, a rape, no qualification on that. 
yet it is not dominating the perspective on him of coverage. Why? I mean, not only is this the most serious allegation since him taking office, it's also the 16th time a woman has come forward to put forward an accusation of sexual misconduct by the president. There are millions of young women and little girls right now that are watching their government fail them, failing to hold the highest, the person, the highest level of power in this country accountable. Um, so I think the important thing to remember right now is it's not the millions of American people that are disappointed in the way that we're responding. It's on Congress, the only body capable uh, in, in the United States government right now but to hold the president them. accountable. And I we haven't seen, seen doing that. But, but yeah. look at what we don't see, Karen. We don't mm -hmm. see his opponents on the Democrat side using this as their banner, mm -hmm. uh, which you would like expect if it were anyone else. God forbid somebody you know, wins this next election that's not named Donald Trump and something like this comes out about him or her Imagine how dominant it would be, but they're not yelling and screaming about it. You're not hearing about it in Congress. You barely, you know, you're hearing about it in the media, but not like the way we used to. Why? Yeah. Well, look, I think there are a couple of things here, Chris. I think, number one, let's talk about what's happening in our culture. To the point that you just made about Trump's response and saying, well, she's not my type. You're Obviously, it's about power. It's not about looks. But there's still a stereotype. There are still people in this country who think that it's about sex and it's about sexual attraction and not just power. And so and to some degree, when he said, you know, that's how we got to locker room talk when we had the Access Hollywood tape come out. And secondly, it is incredibly hard for women to come forward yes. in this country against powerful men. You know that. I mean, my against God, these women man, have to risk. Especially powerful men. Especially. But I mean, I have worked with a number of women who, I mean, their lives are destroyed. Their mm -hmm. credibility is what we question, not mm -hmm. the man. Now, specifically to, to Trump, I think there are a couple of things. Number one, I agree. Who's going to hold him accountable? I mean, certainly Republicans have never held him accountable for anything. We saw the numbers with Harry Enten. It's so, pretty much well, baked in but uh, for him. The women who aren't going to be with him, they're gone already. Well, that's that's true and that's not true, actually, because we've seen I will tell you that we still saw we saw a couple of things from 2016 to 2018. We did yes. see movement away. It's really white Big. suburban women, yes. white college educated women and white non-college educated women. And we did see the moving away from him in 2018. And we did see more younger women come out. So if those numbers continue, hopefully the way that we'll have our voices heard is in the election. Right. But it, there should be more of an outcry right now. But I think it doesn't just speak to Trump. It speaks to what is happening in our culture. We didn't have an outcry in 2016 when we realized, or 2017, that sexism and misogyny and racism were factors in pe why people decided, and fear of change right. was part of why people supported Donald Trump. I guess Nobody it's just surprising to me that with hashtag MeToo as a movement, and yes, it's pendular, and yes, there'll be arguments about whether things went too far. It's just odd that after all that, Alexandra, here we are with the most serious thing we've ever heard, and it is not exploding the way earlier counts yeah. had. But I don't want to dominate all the time on the negative. There's also a woman who's making headlines right now, uh, and they and I'm good. I'm glad for E. Jean Carroll to be out there telling her story. But I want to look at a positive one also, which is Senator Warren. Uh, you guys are not uh, claimed yet in terms of this race. Nobody's endorsed anybody. Uh, she's making a move on Bernie Sanders. The campaign can deflect. That's their job. And we talked policy with them. The senator himself, Alexandra, said, 
well, you know, look, some people do want a woman. Do you think Warren is making a gender move on him or do you think she's beating him at his game of selling those progressive policies? <laughs> I know I might annoy you a little bit by this, but I think with the horse race nature of American politics, it's natural that for whatever reason we want to pit Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren against each other. But the reality is, is that we have two progressive candidates that are basically front runners that are dominating the political cycle right now. That is a complete 180 turn from just what it was like back in 2016. So I think that's what's important. And to quote Elizabeth Warren, the time of small ideas is over. Big ideas are what's going to dominate. The minute differences between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, we are going to have the next six months to be able to debate, and we're going to have literally the debate coming up in the next uh, few days. Yep. But the fact that Elizabeth Warren is on the rise of the polls is showing that Americans are hungry for solutions as big as the problems that we mm -hmm. face. And, you know, if we remember back in 2016, uh, a lot of the people that we needed to turn out stayed home. That's young people, that's right. young women of color, uh, that's people of the color, and that's them. union households. So I think that that's the, the most important so thing So you have for the universe of now. provoking possibility versus pragmatism. Biden is leading for a reason. I don't think it's just name recognition to this point, Karen. But look at what Sanders did today. He upped the ante. Free college, uh, getting rid of tuition for everybody, not yeah. just people in the middle class. Yeah. Really, really expensive stuff that we're talking about that while it does go to Alexandra's idea of the big idea, it also goes to the right's big knock on the left, which is tax and spend. Well, absolutely. And look, I think there are some of us who also are not so sure that I think you pressed this point with Faz that if you are able to afford right. college, maybe you shouldn't get a free pass. But look, I just want to talk about Elizabeth Warren for a moment here, because Please. I think it's incredibly important, again, having worked with many women candidates running for executive office, which is still the hardest, highest ceiling for women, because in terms of how we value women's leadership, we don't always value that we're more collaborative, we're more interested in trying to get to solution orientation, you know, a solution orientation. And so I think actually it's such a positive to see Elizabeth doing so well. And rather than questioning her, which I'm not saying you're doing this, but some are sort of acting surprised that a woman almost could be doing so well. Mm. We have so, you know, we have more women running this time than ever before. And so I think the more we normalize the idea that a woman could be president and that a woman and that these women are running, we'll have more women on this, at the debate stages this this week than we've mm. ever seen before. Right. That's a positive And that helps to change the way we think about women and women's leadership and our capabilities. And I think it means people are able to hear Elizabeth Warren's ideas for what they are and not just get have the her gender lost in the sort of create static in the channel. She's the first one to get a buzz phrase. There's a plan for that. And just <laughs> to be clear, right. it was Senator Sanders who said he thinks she's making a move because people want a woman. I think that she's playing that game of progressive ideas better than everybody else in the field right now. Alexandra Rojas, great to have you on the show. Look forward to having you again. Karen Finney, as ever. Thank you. So tonight so much. we got something special. And different. Do you remember this moment at the Grammys? Remember this? The pumped up stunner rocking the piano alongside Cardi B. She's now blowing up the charts with her own music. Very cool. But why here on Cuomo Primetime? Because Ms. Chloe Flower has been fighting human trafficking longer than she's had a music career. And she has some insights into her success, how she can use it, and the realities on the border that are being ignored. Chloe Flower in his A.
You remember that? What a moment at the Grammys. Powerhouse pianist Chloe Flower stole the show, in my opinion. She opened the song Money for Cardi B. Now she's got her own music video debut. Her latest single, Get What You Get, shot to the top of the iTunes classical chart upon its debut, but it's a crossover into hip-hop. It is changing how the genre is perceived, and it's changing how kids see hip-hop all over the nation. They're taking up piano, and she wants to use that gift for good and use fame to also fight human trafficking. She's been doing it for years and she has perspective on the southern border. Chloe Flower joins me now. Hi. Thank oh, you for what a pleasure. What I'm honor. so happy for your thank you. success. That's so nice. Thank you so because much. Because what unusual things. Am I did, did I get any of it wrong first of all? No, no, did, that was that was perfect. around the country, kids either they play or they don't play, yeah. mm-hmm. but they want to play an instrument even though they're into hip hop. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't think they have access to even knowing that they can play an instrument, that there is a keyboard. Um, they don't have access to seeing it, so they can't want to do something that they can't see. So the Grammys was a perfect opportunity for that. Do you have any idea it was going to go like that? You know, Tanisha Scott, who's the creative director, she obviously showed me the the stage setup when I got there. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm right in the center there. And I have three solos. I wrote, wrote my three solos and they were in there. So I thought maybe it'll take off, maybe not, but you know. So help us understand classical music mixed, maybe sampling, you know, at some point. Mm-hmm. But when you decided to make that move and you went to some of the big names like Babyface and stuff and said, I can compose, I can produce within hip hop, even though it's classical, mm-hmm. what made them believe? You know, I'm not sure, actually. You know, uh, Babyface has been a longtime supporter. So I signed with him nine years ago. And he really has shaped the way I write music. I don't think that I would have been able to perform at the Grammys or been able to um, have that kind of production repertoire had I not been around him and his and his um, producers because I learned all the back end stuff on how to produce, how to use the software, how to use the plugins. And that was all crucial in, in creating a sound. When did you realize that not just that it would work. Uh, We were talking before we started the segment. I don't know the last time in the modern era that, you know, an instrumental version of music wound up blowing up the regular chart like that with crossover appeal to hip hop without even no lyrics. I know. Um, But the idea for you of dovetailing it with your passion, which you've been doing, again, longer than the production stuff, which is I want kids to understand the power of music. Yeah, definitely. You know, it started out um, separate. So I, I... I worked in music education and music therapy for a very long time, and I worked in anti-human trafficking since 2006. It wasn't until I started partnering with the UN that I realized that music education is a tool of prevention mm-hmm. against human trafficking, and and so that's you know that's like a double a, a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call and it? And that's how we became friends. <laughs> yes, was talking exactly. about what was going on, and to be fair, well in advance when we were looking at the caravans, then you were saying. This is an opportunity for human traffickers. Um, They're going to get a double benefit here Mm -hmm. because these people aren't even going to get in. So they're going to get paid to just give them false hope. And you're going to see it. And sure enough, now Mm -hmm. the human trafficking aspect of this border, Chloe is not a politician, but this is about people. Um, That's being ignored. They're recycling kids. They're abusing kids. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing about human trafficking that differs from drug trafficking is that a human can be like you said, used over and over and over again. Um, A drug used at once, it's gone. So you have a group of people who are looking for safety um, and they're being taken advantage of. And then as even if they're not subjected to human trafficking on the way in, they're put in an environment that's ripe for human traffickers to to once they leave, to swoop them up and and, and, um, 
take them into the industry. And so, you know, that whole situation at the border is, you know, it's uh, to me, it's it's an it. It's refugees. I, I think there are a lot of refugees there, and we can't vilify migration. We have to, rather than dehumanizing them further, we have to create an environment that's safe for them. And and you know, it's not about politics. We have to put the human rights issue first. Over Except politics. right now, they are being used again because yes. they are a political football, and right and left are fighting and blaming and doing yes. nothing in a way I've never seen with an American crisis. Yes. I've never I've never seen international organizations on our own border dealing with the situation. I think there's a profound embarrassment in that. We cover it all the time. Now, you see solution in music. And your album is about empowerment and freedom. How so? What do you want to come through in the music before I play your single? You know, the, um, the, all of my music is, so far has been inspired by my work in anti-human trafficking. And, um, you know, because it doesn't have lyrics, it, it can mean something different to, to each person. But what I hoped for in this song is that it, it, it's a song of empowerment and a song of inspiration. Uh, because, you know, I think that we need, we're having a spiritual crisis, and I think that we need music that's inspiring and powerful for, for kids and for adults. So this is called? Get What You Get. Get What You Get. Let's listen. Look, how rare, and I hope you enjoy the moment. I hope not just the fanfare, although it's great and it's a great catalyst for you, but for passion and purpose to come together and to create success on that, what a trifecta for you. (laughs) Thank you. And I hope it works. I hope kids are inspired, and I hope you get the chance to use the platform to talk about these other issues that matter, because you know what you're talking about. You're not a celebrity who jumped in the game (laughs) to give yourself profile. You've been doing this a long time. We have. We've been doing this a long time. Yes, I just (laughs) wish we didn't have so much cause. I wish it wasn't on our border where these kids and issues are being ignored. We are better than this. You represent the best of us. Thank you. Chloe Flower, I am so excited about what is to come. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. Give me a quick plug. What's the album coming? Where do they get it? Uh, You can get it on iTunes, uh, YouTube, everywhere, every, every major digital streaming platform. Get what you get yep. is the single. There is more to come. All right. An airline passenger feeling pretty good. Had the whole row to herself. How rare is that? You know what's more rare? Finding out you've got the whole plane to yourself. Waking up in the dark, still buckled into your chair. Everyone's gone. I've had that dream. No, she lived it. And now we get to live it with D. Lemon. Next. All right. Imagine this. You're on the plane, you buckle up, you doze off. So what? We all do that. Yeah, all right. Then you wake up and you're still on the plane. You're alone. It's dark and cold. This happened. Air Canada is trying to figure out how a passenger wound up that way. And they better figure out how to cut a check, too, is my suspicion. The passenger's name is Tiffany O'Brien. She flew from Quebec City to Toronto. She wakes up, cell phone's dead. She's wandering the cabin in the dark. She gets to the cockpit. None of the comms work. There's no power. She finds a flashlight. She's literally, she's alone in the plane and finds the door, figures out how to open it. The plane is so far from the gate that she's like 40, 50 feet up. She's trapped. She has to sit there waving and screaming until finally a crew member sees her. D. Lemon, she lived 
the nightmare of waking up. You know, we've all talked about it. It actually happened in Houston some years ago, but it's really rare and really messed up. It is, but I mean, can you... I was, I was just going to say, you know, there's, there's got to be a movie about this. Can you imagine that? And you think like, oh, well, she can just get off the plane, open the door. But it's 50 to 60 feet to the ground. First That's step's right. a doozy. Yeah, right? So, um, listen, thank goodness for that, that luggage cart person, man or woman, whoever it was, who came in and saved her. She would have been there all night. Her phone died. Still had to climb down on a ladder. There was no the power. Her phone died. She didn't know. That, that plane could have been out of service for her. Days. You know? How does that happen? You know, they say, you know, we have a... She wrote to herself. I, I don't know how it happened, but I would imagine she, I don't know, if she maybe was laying down on the row and they no. were looking at heads. I don't know how She was still happened. buckled in, she says. And they yeah. say, you know, this shouldn't have happened. We have a system for this. Oh, that's good to know. Except that it did happen. And now they've got to figure it out. And you know there's a price tag coming with this. Well, you know that because part of the thing says that she has been... Um, Ten days, can't sleep. Not to, no, she's been told not to comment on advice of, I think, her representatives or counsel. But she said she had pre-existing anxiety disorder that this exacerbated, and she's still having night terrors about this, and understandably so. I mean, she lived in nightmares. But she slept pretty well that time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) I'm just saying. So, um, listen, I know how you... um, you are very passionate about things that's happening at the border, mm. right? You know about those 249 children living in horrible conditions. Yep. We have uh, a member of the team that went down and sounded the alarms about those children. Now those children are being moved to uh, other facilities. And so she's going to join us to tell us about what she saw and how she feels about at least helping and bringing light to this particular situation. Strong. That's coming up. Yep. Did you see Chloe Flower on the show? Remember I, her I at the Grammys? I, was, I, was in, I saw Corey um, and as I was walking to come to talk to you, but I didn't get to see the entire interview. What, what about it? She's amazing. Uh, her music is talking about the, the classical border, right? music is now. Yeah, but she's she's been doing that for a long time. So I just saw this great dovetail of she's trying to inspire people. With their music It's blowing up uh, since her Cardi B star moment. Oh, wow. And she knows about human trafficking in a big way. She's been working with the U.N. and she goes, that's what's being missed on that border is that this is about people in crisis, not a political football. Who would have ever thought we'd have international aid agencies on America's border dealing with a situation that we're not? As many people who are on on that border dealing with those horrific stories, those horrific conditions and what's going on, that's as many stories. There's as many stories as there are people in that particular situation. And more is going to come to light. We had her on just to kind of like, you know, broaden the appeal a little bit of this woman who understands the issue. And she's empowering kids with music. And she's trying to also empower those kinds of kids who are susceptible to trafficking so that they never enter the supply chain. They have their own reason to exist. They have their own avenues to dignity so that they don't find their way into that kind of desperation. She's a really special young person. Good for her. A better, she's a better person than you and I oh, both. Uh, put on our together. best day. But I, listen, why couldn't you fall asleep on a plane? And then I'd be like, I don't know what happened to him. Nice. He fell asleep on the plane. Nice. And I haven't seen him since. Well, look, I got my own problems. I can't even sleep through the night. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't want to tell that story, do we? You can't see it. No, that's all right. I that, fell. That I fell you, trying to go to the bathroom. You tripped over the dogs. Yeah. Don't blame it on the dogs. I can't believe I didn't break my nose. The makeup people are amazing. Look Did at that. Did they do it? They said, you know what? This is nothing. What we cover up on Don every night is like that. This, the, Would these you like welts me to show him the picture that you texted me early this morning? Listen, you know. About your fiasco. Look, I can't live in the house of shame. <laughs> Get out of here. I'll see you in a little bit. Bye. All right. <laughs> Back to the serious. Let's be honest. We are living through some very bizarre times. Confusing, 
disconcerting times when a rape allegation, not groping, not forced kissing, that's bad enough, but this is rape, does not seem to move the needle on a sitting president. Now, is that okay? And if so, why? And if not, then how did we get here? We have never wrestled with a topic on this show more about whether to argue it and how. You'll see what we came to next. So the closing argument is always a product of groupthink here. It involves men and women. And tonight, we were all confused about the same situation. This prominent journalist accuses the sitting president of rape. This is the most extreme accusation we've had against this president. And it has had almost no impact, really, on our dialogue. You know, people talk to me about the show all the time. Thank you for that. Online, in the street, on the radio. They have yet to bring this up in any real way. The journalist, the accuser, is E. Jean Carroll. She says this. The moment the dressing room door is closed, he lunges at me, pushes me against the wall, hitting my head quite badly. He seizes both my arms and pushes me up against the wall. He opens his overcoat, unzips his pants, and forcing his fingers around my private area, thrusts his penis halfway or completely, I'm not certain, inside me. Now, don't be bothered by what I say. Bothered by what it means or not, that's the question. This is rape, period. Carol doesn't like using the word, and that is her right. And when the account came out in New York Magazine, a publication that I respect, we didn't run with the story because we needed our own corroboration, and that is right. And we got it from one of two of these journalists that Carol told about the rape, who were also her friends, at the time it happened. Yes, we should get both of those sources. And yes, it would be better if their names were out there. Clarity helps with closure. People who say they are victims should be believed. And you have to know that women don't come forward often and for good and painful reason. Look at what's happening with her. We see women get dragged through this process all the time. But there also must be vetting. In a court of law, there must be more. There must be proof such that no other reckoning of the case makes as much sense as the victim's story. And certainly in the court of public opinion, that must also hold true. And I know that that makes people uncomfortable. If you believe her, why do you have to corroborate? Or if you can't prove it, then why should anyone believe it? We are definitely still searching for a standard of how to process these. But this morning, Ms. Carroll said something that was equally troubling. Here it is. He denies it. He turns it around. He attacks and he threatens. That is the... And then everybody forgets it. And then the next woman comes along, and I am sick of it. I am, Allison, I am sick of it. Think how many women have come forward. Nothing happens. Now, the numbers are compelling, but also is the president's response. It shows how perverse this current dynamic is. He's accused with rape, okay? And he says this. I say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. It never happened, okay? Sounds familiar, right? Yeah, I know. It's because it's the same thing he said about Jessica Leeds, one of more than a dozen women who accused this president of some sort of sexual misconduct. She would not be my first choice, that I can tell you. Man. You don't know. That would not be my first choice. Washington Post reports the same uh, was said about Stormy Daniels, not the type of woman he finds attractive. Now, first... Look, this is not a smart answer to the question of whether you would rape someone. 
Finding someone attractive is not a precondition to sexual assault. Sexual assault is about power and violence, not just sex. More troubling to me in understanding where we are, more vexing, is that if people are so appalled by this president's nonchalance and the wild number of women who say they were attacked or assaulted, or in this case, raped, why isn't this most serious account to date? When others were covered in large ways, why is this not front page news everywhere? What does that fatigue say about us? Dean Bacay, the executive editor on The New York Times, said his paper made a mistake. We were overly cautious. The fact that a well-known person was making a very public allegation against a sitting president should have compelled us to play it bigger. Now, over at the New York Post, he had the opposite. Former top editor turned advisor who supports Trump ordered the paper to remove a story about the allegations. And that's wrong. But I'm not even sure this president needs the help. As he says... I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Not okay. Post Me Too. What matters to us? Or I guess really the question is, what does not matter to us? Is it really just about this president? Is he the Teflon Don? And if so, what does that say about where we are and what we're about? I think we've seen enough of this now to know the questions. The confusing part is what are our answers? Do me a favor and let me know. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. Always quick with an answer. Uh Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.